Morning. How are you? Oh, good. Okay. Well, if you're here, you're at the final message of the Book of Acts. So give yourselves. If you just slid in at the very end of class, it's okay. You're gonna you're gonna be able to get a good picture of what Acts was about. You know, it's it's kind of like a bittersweet for me, like closing of this uh, of this book. We started this book uh, the Sunday after last Easter, and then here we are today. And it's been a, quite a journey, and I hope for a lot of you, and maybe what we'll walk away with today is just what this stirred up inside of you. It's wonderful studying scripture and learning like, oh, that's a neat fact, or that's really interesting. But the, the purpose of scripture as this writing that interacts with you, divinely purposed, what does it do in your heart? What does it stir in your heart? So we are at the final message, but before we get into that, next week, uh, we are going to do a four-week series, and I know you're going to love it. You want to know why? Because it's going to be really, really difficult. So you're <laughs> going to love it. And I know you will rise to a challenge. So we're going to talk about four disciplines that we would love to see our church begin to take on. And I'm curious to see how that manifests within our church. These four disciplines. They're this, they're, there's the one which, which, yes, all of us will, will go, yes, I'm going to take that challenge. And that will be prayer, which is next week. What does it look like to have a prayer life? Why is prayer so important in the church? Why does it belong in your daily life? Does prayer really make a difference? And we're going to explore all of that uh, starting next week. After that, it would be a super, super easy one for all of you because it's so easy, which will be learning to Sabbath, meaning taking time away from your phone. <laughs> Did I lose you? <laughs> taking time, just stepping back and, and looking for ways that you can disconnect from all the distractions around you and then really give thanks and appreciation for what God has brought into your life. It will increase your gratitude. And ultimately, it will glorify God and connect you closer with him for those moments. We're going to do study as another discipline, learning to discipline yourself to study, to grow yourself personally. Let God speak to you through scripture, investing that time into that. And then finally, I saved the easiest one for last, fasting. Not a big deal. Just denying yourself things or food. And so these were very, very important disciplines that were regularly practiced within the church. You may do these already, but I think as a church, we should all embrace these and watch what God does. He will do incredible things through that time. I tried to fast the other day just to kind of dip my toe in a little bit, and it was unbelievably difficult. Like, by 10.30 in the morning, <laughs> I was like going, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. And then, like, my son made, like, this, the, you know, those, like, those oven pizzas that, no, that, that you eat because you're desperate or you're in college, you know? And he had made one, and I just kept walking by and looking at it like, this is only 2.30. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It was very, very bad. 
But I think that God has greater things for us the more we step into these disciplines. So be looking for that for the next four weeks. Our journey through Acts, let me kind of give you a brief, not summary, but a brief uh, survey of what we've done. We've explored 28 chapters of the Bible, and we took our time. We have uh, explored 1,007 verses in the Bible. We have studied them. You should be proud of yourself. We have, we have spent the time to just say, what is here? There, throughout Acts, we've seen collectively from 1 all the way to 28, about 35 churches, 36 churches that have been planted that we can see in the book of Acts from the 120 in the room to the 15 of the different countries that were at Pentecost that went back and started their Christian movements to the 20 probably plus, that Paul himself had a hand in planting. It's pretty amazing. It's weird when you read a book of the Bible and you realize this spanned a total of 30, I think, how many, 32 years of ministry we covered uh, in this book. Thousands of people, by the time we're going to finish this chapter, have become believers. Thousands from 120 all over in small, little, not very significant Jerusalem in the empire at the time, from this 120 to believers in, in churches in almost of the major cities of the entire empire of Rome. God had a plan. It did not stop there in that, in that place. Jesus said, you got to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. And you know what? Philippians said what God, finish, what God starts, he will finish, and he is still finishing it today. We said this in the beginning of Acts. We are in chapter what? We're in, cha we're in chapter like 21st century chapter, 2000, you know, 2100 chapter. Wow, I'm saying this all wrong. We are still within the work of Acts. When you finish a book of the Bible, this is my recommendation to you. Sometimes when you look at the book, we've, we've learned a lot. We've taken a lot of notes. We've seen points and principles. We've seen reflection times of, of certain passages. But when you finish a book of Acts, I would say it's a lot like finishing any other book. It's a lot like finishing a movie or a TV series. You, you finish the last episode. You finish the last page or the final scene of the movie, and you walk around, and don't you have some kind of impression of the thing overall? It left a lasting impression on you. What was that impression on you when you finished that book or movie? And we have to ask, what has is, what is left the impression on us? What is it? What is God speaking to you through this? When you close a book, you sit back and you go, how did you speak to me through that, God? What is most on my heart from this? And that's what I really hope that you have um, from this study. I titled this message, To the End. And, and I had to only say it this way because this is the final stage, the final leg, if you will, of Paul's mission. He began to become the prominent figure in the book of Acts, partially because the guy writing Acts, Luke, is with Paul in chronicling his Acts, what he's doing and what God's doing through him. But we get to see kind of how it ends here. You know, when you get older, and as I get older, uh, you start talking a little different. 
Now, I remember, you know, my parents, or grandparents, actually, talking a little bit like, oh, yeah, it's time to kind of wind down. Do you know what I'm talking about? Retirement. I'm just going to kind of hit the road and just, I'm going to relax. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to just uh, kick my feet up, enjoy my fruits. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is not how Paul wrote to his churches. He's in the, the final leg of his ministry, but yet more passionate than he's ever been, working harder than he's ever worked. He didn't have this mentality, and I think this is a good framework for every believer. It's, it's not the idea that we, we did the work and now we can kind of just sit back and relax. If anything, let this inspire you, that this is not a, ever a time to hold back or just let off the gas. It's time to move forward. He didn't talk to his churches that way. He didn't write in like, and now I just want to leave you with these parting words because now I'm going off into retirement. <laughs> if you read that, would you not be shocked? Like, wow, this is not how Paul leaves the world. He plans to expand it all the way to the end. And you're never too uh, uh, seasoned to, to give up on the mission of expansion of God's kingdom. You know, there's some of you here that I, 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 I aspire to be like. You know, I see your heart. I see that you don't stop. You continue to try to look to serve. You continue to try to look to help others. I had someone the other day who has who is, who is, had some health complications and, 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 and is, is older and said, listen, the Compton Initiative, do you think I can physically do that? Now, I didn't know that they were breaking concrete the whole time. And I said, yes, of course you should. I don't know what happened, but I hope you're still here. Like, it was, I didn't know. I need to know from now on. But I love the heart of like, man, like I want to help. I want to serve. I'm not here to just relax. I appreciate that about some of you. You are a good example for the rest of us. And um, I think in this message, if you could have a few things, I'll have them up on the screen, some questions you should ponder. I'm not going to have points today. This isn't, this isn't the finish, this finishing of the chapter. It's not a point type of sermon. This is a kind of a big picture and a, and a reflection when we're finishing this book. But there's some questions you should ask as we're reading this is what are God's plans for me? It's really great to cheer someone else on like Paul and go, wow, what a guy. But Paul's journey is no different than our journey. Paul's calling is no different than our calling. I think sometimes we like to read about it and feel good about what someone else did, but what about what God has for you? And I think a hard question to ask is what would hold me back from following those plans? What is holding me back? What is potentially a potential hindrance to those plans to me? What can I let go in order to follow where God is leading me to go? We have to ask those questions. I'm sure Paul faced those questions. And I'm sure he had to get to the point of like, this will hold me back and this will hold me back. I have to put that in its right place. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to just close out this book. God, I thank you for what you have in the future ahead of us with many great series that uh, you, you've laid on our hearts and things that will really begin to, I think, change the way our church is 
and, and, and do, lead us in the direction you want us to go. But God, as we honor the work of, uh, of the people noted in Acts, God, help us to not just be inspired by them, God, but to inspire to follow. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Acts 28, if you can go back and you want to read this, I'll summarize it to the point of where we want to teach from. Paul arrives in Rome. Uh, he had a hard journey, if you can remember last week. It's not been easy for him, but he, he arrives. He gets there. He's chained, right? He's a prisoner. He's appealed to Caesar uh, to face those charges. That they couldn't really figure the charges out, but they're sending him anyways. He's about uh, arriving into Rome, and about 50 miles outside of Rome, some believers who probably were at Pentecost, way back in, in the beginning of Acts, who were there celebrating, hear the gospel from Peter, and, and transform and change their life, and then go back into the region of Rome. And so they hear he's coming, and they go to meet him. They join him and go into Rome. I don't even know if they help find this place that he ends up renting. He rents a house uh, with the guard because he's still under house arrest. He has to pay for his own lodging. He has to pay for his own food. And he's chained with one hand to a guard. Now, I find this interesting because uh, I don't know what it would be like if someone was chained to me 24 hours a day or what they would be like chained to you. I know what they were like, what it was like to be chained to Paul. No doubt. He was continually working on those soldiers, continually working on preaching the gospel. They got to see everything he did. They ate with him. I mean, not, not to be like crazy, but they did like literally, I mean, they, they slept beside him. They went to the bathroom with him. This was a serious like duty that they had to perform, and he was... There, and they were ultimately, I think, chained to Paul. But he is there. And while he arrives, he does exactly what Paul does every time. He doesn't miss a beat. He gets in Rome. And the first thing, what does Paul always do when he goes into a new city? Who does he seek out? The leaders in the synagogues. There's about, we know at this time, eight to ten Jewish synagogues within Rome. And so he's chained, he's under house arrest, so he invites them all to come see him. I love it. He right away is thinking his first mission, going to the Jewish synagogues and reasoning scripture with them and trying to win them. This is his calling to the Jew first and to the Gentile. He never skips a beat. These are his people. And so they all come and he's talking to them. And he's saying, hey, listen, I've been sent here under these charges, but there's no charges. It's proven that there's nothing here, but I will face trial with Caesar. I, essentially, I'm sure you've heard about this. And to his surprise, they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. We haven't heard anything about this, but we have a question for you. There's this interesting Nazarene sect, Christians, that we've been hearing about here and it hasn't been good. So we're concerned, essentially. And we'd like to know, do you know more about that? Oh, my gosh. Did they find the right guy? They don't know who they're talking to. They don't realize the guy they're asking the question to. The guy who is leading the movement all over the world. 
And here he is in front of them. This was the greatest gift they could have gotten, even though they weren't asking for it. So like, hey, can you fill us in on this? And, and he's like, yeah, 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 I can. And they're like, oh, great, okay. Can we bring more people so we can all understand this thing? And he's like, sure. Like, it's like the wildest thing. This is a dream for Paul. I, God couldn't have teed it up more. It was perfect. It's the least he's had to work when he goes into a city. Do you understand this? Usually it's followed by arguments and rocks being thrown at his head. This is perfect. So he's waiting, and they go and find their people. I was reading these missionary. Have you, have you ever just read the, some of these missionary stories? Of, in, in, in especially like within like the last couple hundred years as they're going out and they're sharing the gospel. I remember reading one, and it blew my mind. The person... The person hears the gospel from a missionary, the person in their tribe. They go and they go, okay, they they accept Christ and they go, what do I do? And they go, well, just go back to your tribe and ask people if they want to hear about Jesus. They're like, that's it? Yes, and then tell them. And then they go and they say, have you heard about Jesus? They're like, no, no, what did he say? And they're like, well, I'll tell you what he said. And then people become believers. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm doing something. Is it me? How's that? Is that better? Better? Oh, I always love my voice like this. Why do I go to this? feel like I've passed puberty now. So, like, this is great. (laughs) But I, I do love reading stories like those because then they go to their, they go to their, their, their little tribe and they start asking people, should I do this? And then they start asking people, have you heard about Jesus? And they're like, no. And then they tell them. And then those people become believers. And they go, you know, my brother is in this other tribe. And I want to go share him. And they go, you should go tell him. Do you know about Jesus? And then people go and then they gather and they say, we got to bring more people so we can hear about this Jesus. I love that. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of churches have started this way. This is essentially, when I read this, I think of this with Paul. You know, the thing is, is what they do is they go back and they grab all of the Jewish leaders from Rome. They clear their calendar for 12 hours to go listen to Paul. Now, I want you to know this is my dream, that you would clear your calendars for 12 hours and I could talk with you. Uh, I love the idea that this is that important and Paul is ready for them. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 28 verse 23. When they had uh, the appoint it was, sorry, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers and greater numbers. For this mor- from morning till evening he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. Both from the law And from the prophets, and this is how Paul would do it with the Jewish leaders. As we read last week, when they were on uh, 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 the uh, island they got shipwrecked on, Paul, they didn't have any context to have these discussions, so God worked through him miraculously, and they became believers. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, and others disbelieved. This is very typical. This is typical today. 
Some will believe, and, and, and some are convinced, and some do not believe. I think we get so discouraged when someone's like, you know what, that's not for me. And we're just like, oh, I'm never doing that again. But, but, but Paul was very clear-eyed about this. Some will believe and some will disbelieve, even after 12 hours. Arguing scripture, of which they've been praying for, a Messiah to come for uh, thousands of years, hoping he will deliver them. And even then, some just didn't believe, and that's just what it is. But you know what? What you're ultimately seeing is when this happens, and Paul knows this well, is that they're seeing, they're, he's dealing with people, and some, their eyes are closed. Their ears are shut, and their heart is dull towards the gospel. But I think that Paul then just goes, okay, well, then you're going on my prayer list. We're going we're gonna to get you one day. One day, God's going to open your heart. One day, when you're ready, it will happen. Have you, ever, have you ever been speaking to somebody? Maybe you can relate to this. And, and they get really frustrated, and maybe they walk away from the conversation because you actually spoke truth that they didn't want to hear, and they're like, That's, I'm, not, I'm not listening to this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? It, the truth is just too much to hear. It's too much to bear. Why do they walk away from that conversation? They're not ready. They're just not ready. One day they may be ready. And one day when you're talking to that person, they will hear the truth you're trying to tell them. But they're just not ready for it. We don't give up on them. We don't say like, oh, well, I guess, uh, I guess uh, you're going to hell. Like, I mean, we we do not do that. We're just like, you're just already. You would never do that with one you love who you're trying to speak truth with in a certain area of their life and say, I guess if you don't get it, then goodbye. You, you just know they're not ready. Their pride is there. Something is in the way. There's pain there. They can't quite see. They're not ready. Paul knows this. But here, listen to this. So the thing he says that makes them frustrated, these ones that disbelieve and walk away, is he speaks truth. And here's what he says. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, verse 26, go to these people. Now he's quoting Isaiah, a prophet, who was given a word from God to share to God's people at this time who were not following God, who were disobedient. And Paul quotes this. This is quoted a few other times uh, in the New Testament. But go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but you never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have been closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. But their heart is dull. It's a powerful statement. It's a powerful truth. And Paul shares this with them like, what you've been waiting for, your eyes are closed, your heart is dull. You have to allow yourself to open up to hear this. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
This is a tough truth. Paul is not saying, we're done with you and to the Gentiles. He's just stating a fact that God wants to work through his chosen people to message the world. And that's his heart. And that's why I came to you first, Paul's saying. But the Gentiles are listening because it's for them too. And this is hard. They walk away. They're not happy about it, but some believe. I don't know why people, I don't know why they don't believe. And I, I don't know why some believe and some don't. I cannot give you the exact reason for it. But I will say this. You keep trying, you keep praying, and you keep reaching out. Because wouldn't you want someone to do that for you? By a show of hands, and, and, and this is, a, a, you know, just, just I think, to understand... When someone who shared the gospel with you, did you reject it the first time you heard it? And did you have them come back? Raise your hand if that has happened to you. All right? Yes. I, re I know I rejected a call to a response or preaching of the gospel to me hundreds of times. Hundreds. And then I made sure that they knew what I thought about them too. Hundreds of times, and they came back. And I'm grateful that this is the kind of heart that believers have for people. They do not give up on them. They pray that their hearts be open. They pray that their eyes be opened wide, and they pray that their ears will be open. That should be your prayer. Verse 30, and we'll close the book. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And this is the key phrase and this is how Luke chooses to end the book proclaiming the, the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness without hindrance Acts is done now I like it that he ended it that way he didn't wrap everything up nice and tight for us Luke writes this even after I think even knowing what happens to Paul but most people believe that Paul, you know, from that point on, he ministered in chains for two years and most likely was released and then ministered another two years. And kind of early legend has it that he was then executed by the edict that Nero put in place to blame Christians for the burning of Rome. Peter was also legendarily executed at that time or crucified. And so, but he, in this time, in this two years in chains, Paul writes four very significant letters that we know of, we definitely know from prison. And they're, they're important. And while Paul is waiting in chains, he's doing probably more ministry than he has done before. And he's doing it in the center of the world, in a place that will impact the entire world. You know, it's interesting because from 64 A.D., the time of Paul's most likely execution, the time where he finished the race, to 250 A.D. Now, this is not a big span of time. Remember, Paul, at his time, there's thousands of believers. By 250 A.D., there's six million believers. Ten percent of the Roman Empire 
This is mind-blowing for most of us. How, how, how did this happen? And by 350 AD, just 100 years later, 50% of the Roman Empire are believers. 30 million believers. Did you know that? It's shocking. I started asking, like, how did this happen? Could Paul have ever foreseen this? Right? He had a major hand in it. But could he have ever foreseen this kind of impact that is impacting us today, that has? And I started kind of figuring out why, how? And then you start reading some of the ancient writings around that time of descriptions of what Christians are doing. And it tells you a lot about why this happened. Many ancient writings, when you read, they'll, they'll talk about Christians, secular and Christian. And what they do is they'll say things like, Christians are kind and loving people. <laughs> okay? Christians are those who will care for others. They fit in with people. They embrace everybody. They embraced peace and experienced peace even to death because there was mass, mass persecution at this time. By the time of 350 AD, it estimated at least 2 million Christians have been killed for their faith. But this attracted people because they stood out. They were different. Paul helped establish the stage through his work and his ministry and his character and how he cared for those churches that helped those people be a light into the world. Let me read you one account, okay? It's so good, from the year 260. And it's by Dionysus of Alexandria. He was a prominent leader in Alexandria. But in 260 AD, there was a massive, we can relate to, pandemic that hit a plague that hit Alexandria and a lot of the war known world. And this is what he writes, what he experiences from the believers in Alexandria. Most of the Christians in our city show unabounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of others. Heedless of danger. They took charge of the sick, attending to their needs, uh, to their every need, helping and comforting them. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by the others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbor and cheerfully accepting their pain. Woo! Now, when you read what happens here, it makes a lot of sense. Why I want to share this is because it, it mattered what happened in Acts that set the stage for the world that we live in now. It mattered by believers at that time doing things like this. They didn't run from problems. They ran to the problems. Uh, I was reading about um, the, the history of Antioch in and, and, uh, Syria where Paul began his ministry. The first that kind of church he was a part of. And in that city, which would be like the second most prominent city in the Roman Empire, I was reading about the, uh, they would have every 15 years over this span of time that we just said from, from Christ's birth to 350, there would be a catastrophic event that would literally rock the entire population every 15 years. I think I counted 41 of them. From epidemics to uh, 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 social unrest to, to riots in the streets that would just, just decimate populations. 
But when an epidemic would happen, when a, when a, when a sickness would come in, I was reading what, what, why, why the cities were devastated is because the first thing that would happen is all the people of means and wealth would evacuate the city immediately. And then the pagan priests would leave the cities as quickly as they could because they had the ability to do it. Anyone else who was able to get out of the city and find other places and leave the city to the problem was able to do it. But do you know who remained, and it was written about many times, who constantly remained in the cities and never left, was the Christians. The Christians stayed and helped these people. The Christian state. So what they did, in a lot of cases, they would say, you've lost your mother and father, you live with us now. You've lost your husband, you're a part of our family now. Right? This was going on over and over. And this is what started to, to make me realize, oh, this is why the church exploded in the way it did. This is how the church exploded to those numbers. Is that people began to walk out and live like Christ. And they followed models like Paul who was willing to give it all for the sake of the gospel. And people began to take notice that the believers are the ones they care. They don't leave. They take us in. And many people began to become believers. They won the world over through this kind of work. Paul fought to, to raise the church, to raise up a church that would be that kind of light. I think he would have been extraordinarily proud of uh, 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 as a spiritual father to see what has happened with his little churches that he started and set that foundation. I want to read, and I'll close this, this, this whole message and series with uh, some verses from each of his final four books that, are, that he wrote, his letters, while he was in prison. And, and I want you to maybe see for a second, maybe you can hear the standard he's setting for believers that really brought the gospel to the entire world and to all of us sitting right here. He set a course that brought about some of the greatest change by continually fighting to hold these standards. This guy suffered to maintain the integrity of the truth of the gospel. He suffered to maintain the, 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 uh, uh, the, the, I guess I'd say the values of walking like Christ, to carry your cross like Jesus, to be selfless in your acts. He fought so hard to protect it. Ephesians 5, 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But like the, those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Sing psalms, hymns in spiritual songs among yourselves and make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God for the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. And Paul is reminding the believers in some of his parting words, don't emulate the world, emulate Jesus. If you want to be like somebody, be like him. And I can hear it in some of the writings of that Alexandrian uh, uh, leader. You can hear it that they're being like Jesus in those moments. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean 
Innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world of a crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly the word of life, that on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Oh, if he could just see what has happened. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just as you, uh, like your faithful service, is an offering to God, hold firm and hang on, is what he's saying. And we see this from 64 on. Colossians 3.10, put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter, and I love this part, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. This key phrase, Christ is all that matters. And then he lives in all of us. This is, this is one of my favorite passages because this is what the world needs. In a world of separation, in a world of judgment, in a world of class division, in a world of race division, cultural division, this is what the world needs. It all, none of that matters. Christ is all that matters. And so when we see people leaving their culture and moving and investing in other cultures and different races and different places, this is what believers are doing. This is how they began to change the world. The last one here, and we'll get ready to close, is in the book of Philemon, which is a letter. It's actually not written to a church. It's written to a person to deal with an issue. I love it that Philemon preserved this letter. I don't know how it, it, it got to where it is now, but I'm so glad it was kept because it's a letter of correction. You know what I mean? Like if you wrote me an email to correct me as a pastor, I probably wouldn't want to preserve it. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to keep it. You know what I mean? Like, well, that goes in the special file, the trash, and no one will see it. I only keep the nice things, you know? But I love it that he preserved it. Philemon had a slave, and slave, slave owners was, was, was very, very common in the Roman world. It was a large part of their population. It was common practice. So th th this, this book, is, is, is this letter is revolutionary in a way, and I'll tell you how, is because Paul isn't saying, um, you know, like, uh, oh, we'll just, you know, treat this guy better. He's not doing that. He does something better than that. Paul, uh, what, what uh, the slave does is, uh, Onesimus, he probably stole something from Philemon and then actually goes to Rome while Paul's in prison and stays with Paul. And Paul has time with him. If you read the letter, he kind of goes into detail. He spent some time with him. Now, Philemon is someone who's been ex extremely affected by Paul. He, his salvation it is part of Paul's preaching, right? And Philemon looks to Paul as his leader. So Paul has a lot of sway when he's about ready to write this letter and send Onesimus back to Philemon to go do what's right and go back into service. Now this is wild what Paul says in verse 115. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while. <laughs> he didn't lose him, but... 
so that he could, you could have him back forever. Verse 16, he is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now, he will mean much more to you, both as a man, as a human, and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, I love that statement. If you think of anything of me at all, if you respect me at all, Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is a guy who's in prison. I love Paul's heart. What he does in moments like this, and these are the only the letters that we have. Maybe Paul wrote many more, but these are the ones that we have is he set the stage for the church to have the heart it needs to do to be the light in the world. He modeled the example. He followed Christ as all he did, inspired by the Spirit to write what he's writing, but to model it out and lead it that it can be done. When you see someone live in a way that it can be done, we want to follow that person. So he is encouraging the people to look deeper, and truly see people. This is what changed history. That type of thinking. People run to the problems. They don't run away. They break boundaries. They don't hold back. They embrace their new identity. And they see people for who they are as God sees them. That's what he did. And he told them to hang on don't let go and that literally set the stage to change the world uh when i started looking into my history and my background it's hard to find some of you may know your lineage all the way forever and you know all the stories it's hard to find mine and so i don't really know a lot about my family history at all actually I did a DNA test, and then it just even confused me more. I'm like, I have no idea where my family is or has been from or their journey, but I'm like here. But, you know, what Acts has done for us, I hope, is showed you where your family of origin is, your church family, your heavenly family. This is your family history, Acts. It shows you where it began. And the journey from there, what your family embraced, what your family valued, what your family lived and died for, that's what it showed you. That is your people's history. So I'm going to put these two questions on the screen that you should ponder. I'm going to throw one more in. One is you should ask what God's plan is for you. We can't just celebrate, Paul. I'm just grateful I'm very appreciative that somebody stepped in and did the hard things so that we could be here, right? And what would hold you back from following those plans that God has for you, right? You should ask that question. My other question I wanted to add, and we'll close, is am I honoring the sacrifice made by those before me so that I could hear the gospel? I think that's a hard question. I don't like that question. There are times where I'm like, no, I'm not honoring it. 
I'm really happy. I'm really comfortable. Thank you for your service, Paul. <laughs> but I'm, I, I, I really am appreciated for that. But I'm not going to continue to sacrifice like that. Oof. It's not fun to, 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 to come to the truth with that. But I think we all have to ask ourselves that question as we close Acts and don't go, uh, thank you for your service, but really, how am I of service, God? Because there'll be people down the road that will be grateful for your sacrifice that you made and paid so that they could hear the gospel. You're a continuation of this book until the day that Christ comes back. So I want to challenge you with that. People died so you could be here. People were murdered, maimed, died charging into the fight to help. People sacrificed, public ostr uh, publicly ostracized by their own families. I mean, for generations and generations and generations so it could carry right to where you're at. Please continue that work and service. If anything, I hope that that's one of the impressions that Acts does for you, connects you with your family history, and sees the sacrifice that got you to be where you're at now, and that you don't squander it. Now, I always quote this thing from uh, the show 30 Rock, and uh, it was Alec Baldwin is the character, and he said, you know, talking about generations, he said, the first generation builds, the second generation maintains, and the third generation snowboards. You know, don't be the snowboarding generation that doesn't continue to build. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your uh, continued effort to restore, renew, and save this world. And God, like those people in the early churches were facing a world that is cruel, is difficult, is hard. But God, we're, we're in a world that's very similar, where there's uncertainty, there's difficulty, there is uh, social consequences and sometimes physical consequences to sharing the truth. But God, I ask that you inspire us through the journey of Acts and all of these great leaders throughout that story who paid a price. And all of those for centuries afterwards who paid a price so that we could eventually have the gospel delivered to our ears. Help us be a people that in this church that sacrifice. That we are not a snowboard generation of a church, but we are builders and continuing that legacy. We love you and we thank you. And be with us as we go into this next series, God, because this will be tough for some of us. But God, help us to build endurance and strength through these disciplines that grow our life to be a more and more greater light of the people around us because this is what it's all about, reaching the lost because we were once lost. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this last song?